0: this morning but um i remember back when i was in elementary school and they taught us to the difference between spelling these two homophones that are both principal right you guys have seen those before and the top one is somebody who runs a school and the bottom one is like a a truth uh, that's a principle an undeniable truth uh, one that hangs around and they always taught us that the way that you could learn the difference between the two is that the principal was our pal. And so it, it ended with P-A-L. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever went to the principal's office? Oh, man, some of you guys. <laughs> Woo, that's quite a few of you. <laughs> and let me ask you, when you went to the principal's office, did you think the principal was your pal? Not necessarily, right? It, maybe, maybe not. You know, and a lot of us have been to the principal's office, right, Pam? Even on a trip to Nogales to play volleyball, can end up in the principal's office. And uh, I can remember back when I was in junior high, one time I got called in the principal's office. They called me out of class and said, Pat, you got to go to the principal's office. And man, I start to sweat and, and I'm all nervous and everything. And I mean, you know, I'd heard of people that went to the principal's office and were never seen from again, you know, so I was worried about what's going to happen if I end up going to the principal's office. And so I was just, I was sweating it out. I was worried about what was going to happen to me because the idea at that point was I didn't really think the principal was my, my pal. Now, to be fair to Pam, i got to tell you the rest of the story. Uh, when she was called into the principal's office there in Nogales, when they went there for a a volleyball match, actually the principal there was a good friend of mine who happened to have actually been a groomsman in my wedding. And so he decided he'd pull a prank on Pam and call her to the principal's office when they were down there. And I have, nothing was wrong at least that time. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that was her only time really to the principal's office, to be real fair. So I'm going to tell you the rest of the the story about my trip to the principal's office a little later, but I wonder how many times we sometimes kind of picture God like that, that idea I had of the principal. You know, that, that God is just this cruel taskmaster, that he's, he's waiting to catch me do, doing something wrong so that he can punish me. And the fact is that, as we're going to talk about today, the throne of God can sometimes be a place of judgment. It can be. It can be a place of punishment. And for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, one day every one of them is going to stand before God and they're going to have to give an account of their life and they're going to be condemned to a place of eternal punishment. But for those of us who know Jesus, we're going to see this morning that just the opposite is true, that the throne of God is is not a throne of condemnation. It's a throne of grace. And we're going to see that this morning as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. When I first uh, planned for the sermon this morning, I, I thought that I was going to cover all the way from the end of chapter 4 through, through the first 10 verses of chapter 5. But as I got into those last three verses of chapter 4, there was just so much there that I, I just I couldn't get beyond that. And, and I think there's some really important principles from that that I want to share with you this morning. So we're going to read this morning from... Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, going through verse 16, and since it's only three verses this morning, I'm going to put the verses up on the screen. I want you to go ahead and just read those, we'll read those out loud together if we could do that. So Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that a fantastic passage? And that the main idea that I want us to draw out of that today is this because of Jesus. That God's throne is a throne of grace. Because of Jesus, God's throne, it's a throne of grace. As I said earlier, it's a, it's a place we can go to, to find grace from God. It's not a place of condemnation. Now, in the first century, this whole idea of a throne of grace, it would have been an oxymoron. Because you didn't go to the throne of the king unless you were invited in. And if you went there, the, the throne was this place of, of sovereign authority. And for instance, we see it in the book of Esther, right? If you, were, if you weren't invited in to see the king and the king did not hold out his scepter to you, you were toast. So the throne in the, the idea of the first century when the author writes this was not that, that the throne is a throne of grace, but it was a throne of punishment. And as I said, for those who don't know Jesus, it is indeed a place of condemnation. But for us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's a throne of grace. And there's there's two exhortations that we find in this passage that help us to understand how we can approach the throne of God as a throne of grace. Two exhortations there. And I'm going to see this morning, can you help me find, where's the first exhortation that we see in this passage? What's that? Yeah, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our confession. The idea of holding fast, it means to to cling to something with all that we have that we use all our strength to hang on to it, and, and as Ryan shared with us a few weeks ago, this idea of our confession, it's our profession of faith in Jesus Christ, it's the, the proclamation that Jesus is greater than anything or anyone else, and that I've staked my whole life on the fact that, that what he did on the cross was adequate to pay for my sins and, and provide a relationship with God. So it says here that we're to, we're to hold fast, we're to hang on to that with all we have. And as, as the author's writing here, he's, remember, he's writing to these, these Christian Jews who, are tent, who wanted to kind of go back to their old Jewish religion. And he's saying, no, don't ever do that. He says, if you want to have a throne of grace, you have to hang on to Jesus with all you've got. I love how the uh, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, I love what he what he said about holding fast. Here's what he said. He said, shall we desert him now that he has gone into heaven to represent us? Now that he has fought the fight and won the victory on our behalf and gone up to heaven as our representative, God forbid. I think that's so right, isn't it? That we we need to hang on to our confession of Jesus with all that we have. But, But the question is, how do I do that? And the answer to how do I do that is found in the second exhortation that we find here. What's the second one? We saw the first one, hold fast our confession. What's the second one? Yeah, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And so what he's saying here, he says the way that you hang on to your faith, the way that you hold fast to your confession is that you draw near to God with confidence. So we could say this, that we hold fast by drawing near. That's really, I think, what he's saying here. That's how you do it. If you want to know how to to hold fast to your confession of faith, then you have to draw near to God. That word draw near there is a really interesting word. It, It literally means to come facing forward. And that's what God is doing. He's saying, you don't have to kind of like back into the throne of grace. You can come facing forward. You know, in the Old Testament, man, they were worried because they'd say, man, if I see the face of God, I'm going to die. And because of what Jesus has done, we can go boldly to the throne and we can come facing forward and we can draw near to him. And it says that we can do that with confidence. That's a really interesting word as well. It's a word that means literally means all speech. And what he's saying here is that we can can draw near to God and we can come and we can pretty much say anything that we want to God and God's going to listen to us. Now obviously that doesn't mean we can be irreverent or anything like that, but what it does mean is that that God wants us to come and to open up and to be honest with him about what's going on in our lives. And that includes our sin, it includes the temptations that we face as we're going to see that that's, the, that's the place we need to go. Is, and what happens sometimes when we get caught up in sin, when we give in to temptation over and over again, what are we tempted to do? We want to turn and run from God rather than draw near to Him. He's say, no, don't do that. What you have to do during those times is that you, you need to draw near. So what I want to do is with the remaining time this morning is talk about two things. Why, why is it? that I can hold fast by drawing near, number one. And number two, how do I do that? So let's talk first about why I can hold fast by drawing near. And the answer is really simple here. It's because of who Jesus is. I mean, that's what he tells us here. He says, if you want to know how to hold fast by drawing near, look at Jesus. See who Jesus is. And we get to the passage next week, we're going to see even much more about, about the idea that he expresses here. But there's enough here for us to understand and, and hang on to and to know about Jesus so that we can know how we can, how we can hold fast by drawing near. And the first thing he tells us here about Jesus, he says, Jesus is the great high priest. Now we're somewhat of a disadvantage compared to the audience there in the first century. They were really familiar with the high priest. We we're not quite so familiar. We have what we know in the excuse me, in the scriptures, but we're not quite as familiar with that. But the high priest really, simply, he was like the top religious guy in the whole Jewish religion. And one of his tasks was that he would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies and he would make sacrifices on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. But the high priest would have to do that year after year after year. Every year on the Day of Atonement, he would go in to the Holy of Holies, he was the only one that could go in there, and he would make those sacrifices. But, but after a while, that high priest, whoever it was, that person would die, and someone else would take his place, someone else from the line of Aaron. Jesus is not just a high priest. He is the great high priest. See, the old, the old priestly system, it was never intended to last forever. It was always intended to point forward to Jesus, and it tells us here that Jesus is the great high priest. And next week, we're going to learn even more about, about what's wrapped up in that. But for now, we, we can know that he's our mediator. He's our advocate. He's the go-between between us and God. But he's not just the great high priest. He's the great high priest who is seated at the right hand of the Father, See, the high priest, he would go in and he would have to open up the veil. There was a veil or a curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And only he could go behind that curtain and come into the presence of God. And I can guarantee you that the one thing the high priest never did when he got inside that holy of holies, he never sat down. <laughs> Believe me, he never sat down. It was, it was too holy of a place for him to do that. But when Jesus rose from the dead on the, at the day of his resurrection that, that veil, that curtain, it was torn in two from top to bottom which was God picturing the fact that through Jesus Christ we would now all have access into the presence of God that we no longer needed an earthly high priest to do that on our behalf. We could go directly to God. And it tells us here that Jesus after his resurrection it says he passed through the heavens. The idea here is that That he passed from the earth through the different levels of the heavens that the, the Jews understood. And now that he's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And Jesus doesn't have to stand up. He can sit down because his work is completely finished. What he did for us on the cross and through his resurrection, that's done. And so he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. So, so we, be, we learn that Jesus is the great high priest. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we might begin to think, well, that's not the kind of God who can really understand what my life is like, right? I mean, he's so far above me, he could never possibly understand what my life is like here on earth. But then we get to the next thing that we learn about this great high priest. We see that he is both God and man. We've seen this all throughout the book of Hebrews. Started out talking how how Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. Because he's God in the flesh. But he's also, we learned, a man who came and sacrificed himself, as we sang about earlier, who laid himself down on our behalf. And we see that that whole idea reinforced here again. It calls him in verse 14, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, his, his earthly name, His human name, and then the Son of God, which indicates that He is 100% God. At the same time, He's 100% man. And now we're beginning to think, well, maybe the fact that He's man as well as God, maybe, maybe Jesus does have a little better understanding of who I am. And then we get to verse 15, in verse 15 we find out he's not only the high priest who's both God and man, but who knows what we're going through. He knows what we're going through. Everything that we go through, he, he knows what it's like. It says here that, that he sympathizes with us. You know, in our culture it's, it's kind of a cliche thing to say, I feel your pain, Right? Well, Jesus literally did feel our pain. That word to sympathize, it means to suffer along with. He feels our pain. He knows what we're going through. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by His friends. He knows what it's like to suffer physical pain. He knows what it's like to die. And He even knows what it's like to have the sin of all mankind poured out upon Him. So when we're tempted to think that God, You don't don't really know how it is, the truth is is that we don't really know how much Jesus suffered. He was tempted. he He suffered in ways that that we'll never have to face. And so He knows what it's like to be us. And therefore, when we go before Him, when we go before that, that throne of grace, we don't get condemnation. When we come before Jesus and we say, man, I'm just I'm struggling with this sin. I, I'm struggling with in, this temptation. Jesus doesn't say, go away from me, you little sinner. He says, I understand what it's like because I've been tempted like that myself. And I'm here to give you help. So hopefully now you can begin to see why I said earlier, that because of Jesus, God's throne is a throne of grace. So how, how do I then draw near to that throne with confidence so that I can experience that in my life i want to share with you just three things this morning that we can take from this passage the first one is that i need to take my problems to god first like i said earlier sometimes i think we're we're tempted when i I, i'm dealing with some kind of sin when i'm dealing with some kind of temptation my 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 natural tendency is i want to run from god but that's when i need to run to god the very most because what he promises here, he promises that he'll give us help. But even more important than that, he promises that he'll give us two things that only God can give us. He'll give us mercy and he'll give us grace. Now, those two things are, are kind of, we, we talk about grace and mercy and we kind of intersperse them. And they're related, but, but they're a little bit different. Mercy is this idea that I don't get the punishment I deserve. Because Jesus took that punishment for me on the cross, I don't get the punishment I deserve. But grace is is this idea that I I get a blessing that I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be able to have a, a relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with the Holy God. I don't deserve to be able to go to the throne of grace. I don't deserve anything that I get from God. But God, because He's a graceful God, He pours out those blessings into my life. That I don't deserve. That means we ought to go to God first. When I'm having problems, when I'm, when I'm dealing with sin in my life, when I'm dealing with temptation, God should not be my last resort. He should be the very first place that I go. The second thing I need to do is that I need to be honest. I need to be honest. That's that whole idea. Remember we talked about the idea of coming with confidence before God means that I have this this freedom of speech. I have the ability to to come before him and share honestly what's on my heart. We should never be afraid to be honest with God. I mean if if you think about it it's kind of silly isn't it to try to fool God or not to be honest with him. I mean he already knows everything about my life. He knows everything. He knows every temptation I'm dealing with. He knows about my sin. But we need to come before him and we need to we need to be honest about that and just lay it before God and say, "God, I, I'm sorry, man. Here's what I'm I'm dealing with." Because until we do that, God God can obviously help us whenever he wants. But some of the time he's he's just waiting on me to, to come and admit that I need that help before he'll jump in and do that. So I just I need to be honest with God. I just need to have an honest conversation with God. Third thing is that I need to wait on God's help. And this is something we're not very good at, are we? We just want, we want God to just take it away right away, to, to, you know, to, to deal with the sin, to deal with my temptations. We would love it if God would just take the, the difficulties out of my life or He'd just take away that temptation. But, but God doesn't tend to always work that way. And so sometimes we miss out on the help that God wants to give us. And I think there's two reasons that that, that, that happens. First of all, sometimes the, the help comes in a form that's different than what we want, right? As I said, I mean, if I'm dealing with some temptation, what do I want? I want God to just take that temptation away. If I'm going through some trial, what do I want God to do? I want Him to just take that trial, get me out of there. But God doesn't always do that. I think sometimes He, he wants us to to be part of that process. God wants me to be doing something, to, to be part of getting by that temptation. So he doesn't just necessarily take it away. Let's say I'm dealing with some kind of addiction, whether it be alcohol or, or drugs or pornography or whatever it might be. And it would be great, wouldn't it, if we could just pray to God and God say, God, I'll, God says, I'll just take that temptation away. But he doesn't do that most of the time. What he does do, though, is he gives us the ability to to find some ways to, to get other people to help us with that. Maybe it means I've got to go find a group somewhere. Maybe it means I have to find someone who can hold me accountable and help me to work through those things. Sometimes God doesn't always take the trial away because he wants us to learn from that experience. Sometimes it's discipline, not always. Sometimes he just wants us to, to learn a lesson that we wouldn't learn in any other way. Sometimes he, the Bible tells us he takes us through those trials because down the road he wants to be able to use us to work in the life of someone else who's going through the same, time of, same kind of trial. So sometimes we, we miss out on God's help because it doesn't come in the form that we want. The other reason I think that we miss out on it is because it doesn't come in the time that we want, right? The phrase that he, he uses there in our time of need at the end of that, that passage is really interesting. It actually literally means well timed. I guess suppose in our culture today we would say that he helps us in the nick of time. That's really the idea there. That that Jesus will help us when the time is right according to his timetable, not ours. And sometimes I think we miss out on the, the help that God wants to give us because we're impatient. And so what do we do in the meantime? We keep worshiping God. We keep praising Him. We keep obeying what we already know. We've talked about these things before. And we wait for Him to help in His way and His time. So we've learned this morning that because of Jesus, God's throne is a throne of grace. I told you earlier that I would come back and tell you the rest of the story of my trip to the principal's office. (laughs) So uh, I'm going from my class, go up to the office, and uh, the secretary tells me to sit down and have a seat, you know, so now I'm getting even more nervous. And pretty soon Dr. McKellar opens up his door and he says, "Uh, come on in, Pat. And I get in there, and my math teacher, Mrs. Torgerson, is also in there. And I'm, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think, what did I do? I mean, I couldn't remember anything that I'd done in class, but I'm like, man, I guess I did something, and they're about to lower the boom on me. And uh, Dr. McKellar began to speak. He said, Pat, do you know why we called you in here today? And I'm like, no, I really don't. I don't think I did anything wrong. He says, no, the reason we called you in is that, that uh, we're going to give you a math award at the end of the year at the Honors Assembly. Now, the fact that I ever won a math award, talk about mercy and grace, that was it for sure. But, you know, I, I think about that, how I, had, how I had needlessly worried about that encounter all along because I had a wrong idea. About about the principle there. And the same thing can happen to us too. We get these wrong ideas about God sometimes. And it keeps us from drawing near to God when we need to do it most. Now all of us this morning here, we all have needs, right? And our biggest need, I guarantee you for all of us, is that we need to have God do something about our sin. That's our biggest need. Now, some of you that are joining us this morning, you may have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then the throne of God is not a throne of grace for you. Just, I'm just being honest and open with you. So if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that this morning, to do some of the things that we already talked about, just to draw near to God. And say, God, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a sinner, and there's nothing I can do about my sin. And I want to trust my life to Jesus Christ alone. I trust that that on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. And that he rose from the grave to prove his mastery over sin and death. And I'm willing to commit my life to him. I want him to take charge of my life. I commit to following his leadership in my life. And if you've never done that, you can do that right where you are. Whether you're in this room with us this morning, whether you're joining us online, God isn't really interested in fancy words. You don't have to pray any specific prayer. You just need to tell Him what's on your heart. And you can experience God's throne as a throne of grace. And if you do that, I'd just ask one favor: Would you let us know that you've done that? Because we want to be able to come and walk alongside you and help you to be able to take your next steps in your walk with Jesus. Because I know that's not always an easy thing to know where to go next. So we'd love to help you with that. But I also know that That probably most of you in here have already made that decision in your life. But maybe maybe you're dealing with some, some temptation that you just can't seem to get victory over. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you just commit over and over and over again. Maybe you're going through some trial in your life, some difficult time in your life, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, and And frankly, you're kind of at a point where you're you're tempted to just give up your faith altogether. And my encouragement to you this morning is don't, don't give up. Please don't give up. You have a God in heaven who is a God of grace, a God who loves you, a God who is for you, a God who wants the very best for you. And He promises that if you will draw near to him with confidence that he will give you the help you need in your time of need let's pray father i i'm so grateful for this passage what an encouragement it is father father i know sometimes we can all feel like that that trip to the principal's office that we kind of dread going into god's presence but father thank you that you love us and care for us thank you that those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, certainly don't ever need to fear going into your presence because your throne is a throne of grace. Father, we're also grateful for that. I want to pray for anybody this morning who has never experienced your grace through Jesus that today would be the day that they make that decision. And I want to pray also for those who are struggling right now with whatever that might be. That rather than running away from you, that they would draw near to you with confidence. Apply the principles that we've learned today. Father, thank you that you are our help in time of need. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.